So there's a phrase that I use, which is transcend and include, which is you transcend your past experiences, but you include them in your new endeavor. So nobody is a new coach. And sometimes we need to give ourselves that mindset shift because, yeah, it can feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get caught. You know, I don't know anything. But ultimately, the imposter syndrome, I see it as a freeze response, which is essentially a trauma response. Anything that feels dangerous and feels like we're threatened, our sense of self is threatened, then we go into freeze. And the imposter syndrome is just one of those responses. So if you do find yourself experiencing imposter syndrome, the best thing you can do is to recognize that actually it means you're onto something. (laughs) Because real imposters don't feel imposter syndrome. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Rife, and this podcast covers lifestyle, travel, mindset, manifestation, and entrepreneurship. Today, we have a nice bundle of all of those things because I am sitting down with Dr. Sarah Coxon, who is an author, activist, business mentor for magical women, and she is such an embodiment of feminine leadership. This was an amazing conversation. We talked about social media boundaries, hustle culture, why women feel so small sometimes and why they don't express their gifts and use their voice. I mean, we cover so many bases and this was truly a genuine conversation. I absolutely loved talking to Sarah because we just covered so many different places and I can tell that she's an embodiment of her work. I always get inquiries from people that want to be on the podcast that are in this space of coaching or mentorship or whatever the case is. And I can just tell off the bat when they're reaching out to me that they just want to plug all their systems, their books, their course, this and that, which obviously I always allow people to do that. And I want people to share that, but I can tell when people are just going to turn it into a whole pitching podcast versus just having a conversation and knowing that that conversation will help and then lead people to their work. And Sarah, I could tell immediately was someone that was just going to have that genuine conversation and know that her message would lead people to her work, which I genuinely appreciate. She is so amazing at what she does. Check out her Instagram at Dr. Sarah Coxon, and you'll see her graphics, her videos, everything. Like you can just tell she's so tapped into what she's doing. And I really appreciate how down to earth she is. She also follows zero people on social media, which I think is such an admirable thing in this day and age. Like that is really hard to do. And it also just made me so curious about how can you run a business and not follow anybody? And she talked all about that. So that is what the question, that's the question I kick off with and stay tuned until the end to hear more about her book. She has amazing work. And again, check her out at Dr. Sarah Coxon. Now, if you're a first-time listener, I always do little life updates in the beginning of these podcasts. So the life update I have right now is that I'm really just trying to obtain my German visa, and it's a freelancer visa. I'm using a company called Expat Launcher to help me out, and they have a 100% placement rate because they help expats move abroad and they were expats themselves. So I think that's a really smart business model is like they saw a hole in the market and they said, okay, wait everybody's having trouble moving here, let's fill it. And so now they have a whole business about placing expats in Germany. So I'm working with them. And as I was getting paperwork together, and I'm starting to really sit down and, and, you know, take the steps to obtain this visa, it got me thinking that I would love to share the process of how I plan to acquire this visa, and how I'm going to manifest it to show you all the steps I take. Because I find in the market right now, there is a lot of vague language, a lot of esoteric language, very like head in the clouds, and people don't understand how to take action. So people will say, you know, surrender, sit there, visualize, think about it, it's yours. And everybody's like, okay, but what's the first step? Or like, I have been thinking about it and nothing's happened. And why is this not happening? And so I realized, well, this visa is actually not going to be that easy to get. It's, I think, going to be a little bit more challenging. I mean, definitely more challenging than my Australian visa. And I was like, I think this is a good manifestation process to walk everybody through. So the first manifestation piece here is that I am choosing a thought that I can align my energy with and focus on. So the thought I'm choosing is I will get this visa or I am going to get this visa. 
and notice my language. It's not extreme. It's not, I am going to die when I get this visa. I'm obsessed with getting a visa. It's going to be so hard to get a visa, but I'm going to get it. No, it's just a simple declaration. I am going to get this visa or I will get this visa. And the reason I choose that language is for a few reasons, actually. The first is that I am commanding my subconscious to believe that it's already true. Your subconscious loves commands. It reacts to commands. I always think of the subconscious as a genie in a bottle that will grant you whatever wish you want, but you have to command it. So if you command it and say, I will get this visa or I'm going to get this visa, you're making that clear command so it understands it. And the other reason is extreme language is actually coming from a place of desperation or scarcity. So if I say things like, oh, I'm going to die to get this visa. I can't wait. I'm so obsessed. That really is an undertone of scarcity or desperation. And that's actually triggering my nervous system to react to what if I don't get it? And then that's when that spiral starts of what if I don't get it? What if I have to move out? What if this happens? What if this happens? And then I go down that whole dark hole of what if, what if, what if? So when I choose the I am or I will statements, I'm now living in the energy of certainty. Our brains, our nervous system, everything in our lives depends on certainty, right? If we go get a job, we're certain about the requirements of the job, about what we're getting paid, about where we're working, about who's your boss. That creates certainty. And that's why when you go through an interview process, you ask all these questions to create more certainty. When you look at a house or an apartment, you ask a million questions, you get appraisals, you do a walkthrough, right? Like you're creating certainty in your life no matter what. So in this instance with the visa, because it's something I don't have already, and it's not a guaranteed, you know, you don't every, you don't just apply and everybody gets it. So I need to create certainty with my thoughts, which is why I choose those statements. I am and I will. Now you're probably thinking, okay, but what if you don't get it? Like, then what are you going to do? Obviously, I have a very logical and practical side that is thought about what if I don't get this visa and there are options. I'm not going to live on the streets in Germany. I'm not going to get kicked out and have to like figure out where to live. I can A, go back to the United States, reset my visa that I'm on now and come back. I could apply for a self-employment visa. I could look at other options. I could go to a country that's in the outside of the Schengen zone, which is a whole other conversation and then come back. So there are other options that I've thought through, but the difference is I don't entertain those thoughts. That's not a conversation that I want to have. What if, what if, what if, no, because that creates anxiety and anxiety is a place of uncertainty. I need to create certainty. So I'm living in the energy of this has already happened because when I can think of that in my head, it actually calms my nervous system to react and make clear decisions. So I want you to think about any time in your life where you have been like, oh my God, what's next? What's going to happen? Ah, you then make very quick, irrational, and sometimes emotional decisions. And then you're like, I just, I don't know. I needed to do it for the next step. And a lot of times we're like, oh, I wish I would have just waited. Or I wish someone would have told me it would be okay. Or I could have calmed down. So I need to provide that to myself. I need to be patient. I need to be calm. I need to be clear. Like there's a lot of paperwork that's going into this visa. I am not going to be scrambling, trying to throw paperwork together in like, oh my God, I just got to get this visa and then mess my application up. I need to make sure I'm living in the certainty of, yep, I will get this visa. And so I'm taking all the necessary steps to get it. And I'm clear, I'm confident, my nervous system is relaxed. And when I live in that energy of certainty, everything falls into place. Whenever anything has manifested into my life, I always think back to how did this manifest? And it's because I visualize it as if it was already here. So for me, even though I don't have a visa, I'm in Germany right now on a tourist visa. I have an apartment with my boyfriend. We have an office, we have kitchens, like we have everything that we need, right? I'm looking out my window right now as I record this. So I already live in Germany. So that whole piece of like, what's it like to live in Germany or what are you going to do or how are you going to adjust? Like I've already been doing that. So my nervous system adjusting to the environment, that's already taken care of. The only thing that's uncertain right now is how long I can stay, but I'm not banned from Germany. I'm not, you know, limited here. Like I can do other visas if I don't get this one. But the fact is I'm visualizing what it's going to be like in summer here, in fall, in winter, in a few years. I'm visualizing like, who we're going to live with. We live with roommates right now. Are they going to change? Like I'm already living in that conversation of like, I live here, right? Not, Oh, what would I do if I don't? Da, 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 da. Nope. I live here now. And so I will get this visa. 
So that's the first step in any manifestation process is declaring and using very specific language that's not extreme and then visualizing it as if it's already here. So let's say I was back home and you're like, well, how could you visualize it if you're not there? Like if you want to move abroad, but you're not there, create your environment to look like it. This is what I did in Australia. I made my background of my laptop a picture of the Sydney Harbor. In my free time, I would Google apartments in Bondi just to be able to see what it looked like. I would Google restaurants and streets and like do the Google Maps view and see what was around because it was training my brain to get ready for the environment and create certainty. I was visualizing what it would be like to be there. I started following all these like Sydney and Bondi accounts. I started asking my friends to tell me as much information as possible because going back to certainty, I wanted to have some type of certainty of what it would feel like to be there or visuals because it shows my nervous system like, look, it's safe to go. It's like your nervous system needs some type of safety net. And so creating that certainty back home with visuals and conversations and questions, et cetera, helped create that certainty. So that would be my advice is to create an environment within where you are now. And this goes for anything, right? If you want a new job, like start acting like you have that job. What would you dress like? How would you speak? How would you carry yourself if you already had that job? What conversations would you have? What steps would you take? And then you take those steps. So I hope this was helpful. And like I said, I definitely plan to document this a bit more in my Instagram stories and my Instagram feed, and I will keep you updated as this podcast goes on. But right now, if you do know anybody in Germany that needs a mindset manifestation coach, let me know because I am applying for a freelancer visa under the life coaching umbrella. So I definitely need some German residents and clients. So please reach out if you know, just hit me up at Chelsea Rife or info at ChelseaRife.com and I would greatly appreciate it. Now, before we dive into this episode, remember that if you leave a review, I will send you a guided meditation. I am obsessed with guided meditations, and so I started recording some myself, and I have found that they are extremely helpful because they're short, they're visual, they're to the point, so it's something that you can just throw on in the morning or maybe when you have a break or before bed and get your head clear, your mind clear, get your nervous system calm before kicking off your day or going to bed. So just take a screenshot of your review and then send it to info at chelsearife.com. So again, screenshot your review and try to take a screenshot before you submit it, send it to info at chelsearife.com, and then I will shoot you over that guided meditation. All right, without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode with Dr. Sarah Coxon. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be joined today by Dr. Sarah Coxon. She is an author, activist, and business mentor for Magical Women. I am obsessed with that. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me, Chelsea. And I just, yeah, I just know this conversation is going to be really, really fun. It's going to be really fun. So needed. If you just go to Sarah's Instagram at Dr. Sarah Coxon, you'll immediately see why we're so excited about this conversation. <laughs> And I actually wanted to kick this off with a question that I have never asked. Why do you follow zero people on social media, on Instagram? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, for me, as a, as a business owner and as a content creator, I realized that my primary motivation for being on the platform is to create more than consume. And I really just wanted to create some boundaries in terms of like how I show up on the platform. I mean, we all know that Instagram in particular is designed to be really, really addictive. And I started to notice these tendencies where I was just going on and my intention was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and post some content and engage with my community. And I wasn't doing that. I was, you know, just comparing myself to other people and, you know, get, getting in a scroll hole. So I made the decision, mm, maybe four or five months ago. And I, I made this announcement with my community. I was like, it's not you, it's me. And yeah, I wanted to be in control of what I consume. So that's not to say that I don't engage with my community. I don't go on people's accounts. I don't see what they're up to, but I choose to be in control of that. And for me and for my mental health, it's been incredible. And also what's been really incredible is that the, the quality of my content and what's coming through, like I know it's even more authentically me because I'm not subconsciously just kind of reiterating what I keep seeing, you know, when we're in those echo chambers. But there was a time in my life, very, very early on in my business as well, where it was really helpful to be following certain people and to be, you know, I always say 
make sure that you're following people that are that are in alignment with your values. I think that's like core, like key thing number one, but it can be helpful because, you know, it allows us to see what's also possible and can motivate us if we don't have a social circle of people who get it. So yeah, that's my two cents on that. <laughs> Love that. So that's a pretty hard boundary that a lot of people don't have. I mean, a lot of people do the mute, the unfollow, the block, and then we still follow like thousands and thousands of people. And it's like, I don't even have the capacity to have 2000 relationships. So why am I following 2000 people? So I'm curious, like when you made that decision, was it easier than you thought? Or were you getting any type of backlash, especially from your community? I didn't get any backlash that I'm aware of. Maybe some people unfollowed me. I have no idea, but they wouldn't have been people in my community that I had a relationship with. No, there was no external backlash, but I did feel some guilt, actually. The sense of like, oh, they're going to think I don't care about them. They're going to think that I don't care about, you know, what's going on in their lives. And and it's, you know, I, that's why I, I wrote a post about it and I was very explicit about why I was doing it. But also the longer that I've been in business as well, you know, I've been mentoring now. This business is nearly four years old. So I have a lot of past clients, a lot of people that I care about. And I was kind of going into this thing where I was like, oh, I need to be, I need to know what they're all up to all the time because I cared, but I just didn't have capacity for that anymore. So following zero people has allowed me to let myself off the hook with that. And if they pop into my mind, I will send them a message and be like, oh, hey, I was thinking about you, but I don't have to be, you know, inundated with what's going on all the time. And yeah, I think that as we, as we progress as business owners, like that, yeah, that for me was another key thing. And like you said earlier too, it's not like you can't just go to their page and see what they're up to and catch up. You just didn't want that flooding your feed and your stories. And then, like you said, these apps are designed to keep you addicted. So a lot of people, I deal with this with my clients where they beat themselves up. Like, I don't want to keep going on Instagram. I don't want to wake up and grab my phone. And I'm like, you also have to give yourself some grace. These were designed by geniuses in like so many ways to keep you scrolling and addicted. And I'm just in so admirable what you did to be able to say, nope, I'm just going to take this really extreme measure, but it's like for your own mental health and sanity. And it might not even have been that extreme. Yeah. And one of the things that I really realized as well is that, you know, towards middle of last year, particularly when everything kind of happened with the, you know, dreaded pandemic we were all online so much more so I just felt I just felt so noisy and it just felt so like everything became digital and I noticed as well that my it was really affecting my mood I would be like just going about my day and they'd be like wow I feel I feel really like this I feel really tense and when I kind of reverse engineered where it came from it came from being on social media too much so I always kind of say to my clients as well like Social media is this amazing tool and it's fantastic. I'm so grateful to it. So I don't want to knock it. But at the same time, like we do have to create boundaries. And for me, one of the best boundaries I've created for my business is not just following zero people, but also I don't have the app on my phone unless I need to post and then I delete it. And if I want to respond to messages, I do it on my laptop. So I know that I can just DM people from my laptop and then it feels a bit more kind of like worky email type thing as opposed to this like addictive kind of, yeah, this like automatic gesture to just reach for my phone when I'm bored. It's so addictive. I've, I've been catching myself more and more. I mean, we're in lockdown in Germany and so it's hard to like be hopeful about going to a restaurant or a bar or anything because we're just inside. And so I've been working a bit more than usual and even last night, my boyfriend and I were watching Netflix and I kept finding myself wanting to like grab my phone and respond to DMs and it's 9 p.m. and we're like deep into this show. And I was like, I don't know why it's an urge that I feel like I have to answer to the point where he was like, do you want me to pause the show? Like what's going on? I'm like, this is a bad habit I have to break. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think as well, it's really important to, to kind of illuminate that and also have curious compassion around it because sometimes I mean, we're, we live in a culture where we're taught that, you know, we must shame ourselves and then we will correct our behavior. But shaming actually exacerbates the behavior. And it's really about being curious. Okay, well, what is that? What is that fulfilling for me? And what I notice is like, I have this deep need to be needed. Like it's this deep thing within me. So when, when I'm 
getting messages from my community or people wanting to work with me or people just saying, hey, I love your podcast or I love this post or whatever. I'm getting this dopamine hit. It's like this, this sense of like, oh, I'm needed, I'm needed, I'm needed. And then, you know, if that's not happening, then there can be that kind of almost like lull or that sense of like, oh, I need to go and make that happen again because it's your next hit. So it's not something to shame yourself about. Anyone listening to this, like, do not shame yourself, but it's, it's uh, you can use it as a tool to get to know yourself better. Like, what is it, what is it that I'm getting from this or what is it that I'm avoiding? And very often when, because I can still, even though I follow zero people, you know, as soon as I hit the explore page and there's reels, like there's potential for a scroll hole there, you know, and it still happens. So I don't want to come across as like, oh, I've mastered, you know, I've mastered my boundaries with social media. Uh, they're better than they were, but they're not perfect. But when I find myself in those scroll holes, then it's like, okay, what am I avoiding? And actually when I go back within, it's, it's probably some uncomfortable emotion that I didn't even realize was, was there. And it's just asking for me to, to feel it. And I've, wanted to avoid it because that's what we've learned. We've learned to avoid. It's such a good point about not shaming yourself and actually just using it to shine a flashlight on like, what's the deeper issue? Because to your point for me, grabbing my phone in the middle of the Netflix show was an insecurity that if I didn't get back to this client in time that I would like lose the sale or she wouldn't want to work with me or she didn't think I was of high value. And it's like, that's logically silly. Like, of course I could answer her tomorrow during work hours and not in the middle of the night, but it goes deeper than that. Like, well, why am I seeking external validation? Where did I get the story that I have to answer someone within 30 minutes? And it's like, oh, those are the questions I can focus on versus to your point, beating yourself up, being like, oh, I'm so bad with my phone and social media. So that's so important that you highlighted that. And that's so, I mean, I've definitely been there, especially in the beginning of my business where you're kind of, where I'm messaging people at all hours. Now I'm at the, the point where, you know, for me, one of the key principles of being, um, you know, a coach or a mentor is to lead by example. So now I find myself being like, okay, I'm not going to respond to them on their, on my Voxer or on, you know, Instagram or emails at night because I don't want to set the example to them that 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 is okay but it took me a while to move into that and that was because I was operating from scarcity because I think you do at the beginning of a business like you're amazing I mean I saw one of your recent posts you have this amazing month um but then you know you can just as quickly think oh my god that was a fluke and I know I've done lots of work to get that but what if it doesn't come again and so you know, it's, um, I think it's all part and parcel of the journey, isn't it? It really is. I was like, when I tell my clients this, I'm like, I don't think it's possible to just go cold turkey, hard boundaries, delete social media. Like it's bit by bit. And to your point, I had this great month. And then I'm like, well, was it because I was like in the DM so much? Like, is it because I was so accessible? Because that's also not sustainable. I need to set some boundaries. And funny enough, what I learned throughout this month was I'm actually limiting my boxer access. So girls that I just signed on, I was like, we're not doing the unlimited all day, every day access. Like I need a boundary. I'm like, okay, this feels good. And I'm still honoring myself and my clients. So yeah, it's all a learning trial and error game. Yeah, I love that. And it's, yeah, I mean, I definitely did it early on. But yeah, the, the boundaries thing is so, so important because it's, you know, it's not just what we do in the sessions that's important. It's how we conduct ourselves in between. And that really um, encourages our clients to step up and, and create boundaries from themselves. And, you know, I always say, like, I can't be here for the reclamation of the feminine if I'm not allowing myself to reclaim myself. It's just, you know, I have to, right. like, I'm important <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. you know? Exactly. And I want to get into that actually, because we've been talking about social media boundaries and clients and everything, but can you explain what you do and how you got into this work? Oh gosh. So it's a really long and winded story, like really, really long and winded story. But so basically, I mean, Whenever I get asked that question, I always feel like my answer changes depending on my mood and like depending on where I'm evolving. But currently, as we are recording this, uh, the work that I'm doing in the world is really helping women to really own their inner essence, their, their magic, own their femininity and live in alignment with who they truly are, live their dharma, their purpose, not their conditioning. And I help the predominantly most of the women that I help 
are new stage business owners, but I also run programs that have nothing to do with entrepreneurship. And I think I will always do that because yeah, it's fun. But I, of course I haven't been doing this my whole life. I've been doing this maybe four, yeah, four years now. Um, but prior to that, if we kind of rewind all the way back, uh, once upon a time, I was an archeologist. I was an archeologist for 10 years. Um, and the reason that I became an archeologist was because you know, I kind of felt like there was some kind of ancient wisdom that our modern society is just like forgotten, you know, like there was something that we just aren't connected to anymore. And I was feeling disconnected from myself. I was feeling disconnected from nature. And I didn't really realize it at the time, but I was feeling disconnected from the feminine. And so, you know, I became an archaeologist. I started learning about cultures of the past and I learned about the priestess. I learned about the role of women throughout the ages and that actually, you know, 4,000 years ago in Europe, at least, you know, men and women were pretty much equal. And then there was this like steady decline. I learned about patriarchy. I learned about all these things. And I also learned that academia was not for me. So I was writing my PhD. I was, um, yeah, working on a project. And for me, it just felt like a really archaic, hierarchical institution that I had really no business in being in. Like it just, it was kind of stifling the very feminine powers and creativity and intuition that I wanted to connect to. So I finished my PhD and just left to go and teach yoga full time. It's like a complete pivot. And then that, that kind of, I was teaching yoga full time. And that was the moment where I started to really come back to myself. And I was thinking, what is this? Because when I was teaching, it wasn't like, oh, do a downward dog and, you know, let's try and get your handstand looking great for Instagram. No, it was getting people and predominantly women again, like in touch with who they really are. And I was realizing that I was teaching, I was like, I'm channeling something when I'm leading these classes and these experiences and workshops, because this isn't me. And then it brought me back to recognizing that what I was actually doing was embodying my own priestesshood in modern times, this sense of being a, a channel, a vessel for transformation, for magic, and for actually playing my part in the evolution of consciousness and the evolution of our planet. And so, yeah, yoga teaching then turned into coaching and mentoring and teaching and writing and, yeah, I haven't really looked back. It's so funny. I feel like yoga training is like the gateway drug into this whole world because same for me, I left corporate America, did my training in Bali, and I could tell I was bringing my corporate Americanness into the Bali yoga center. Like I remember being like, why don't they have a formal check-in process? And like, why don't they collect do like the deposits online? Like so in the corporate American mindset. And I remember a girl there, God bless her. She was like, we're in Bali doing yoga training. Like this is not the place for like tech laptop stuff. And I saw myself softening throughout each week. Like I put my Apple watch away. I left my phone in my room. I like really was journaling in our breaks. And I was like, this is not to your point. This is not me. Like I'm a worker. I'm going to, you know, from America, we work hard and all these things. And then by the end of the retreat or the, excuse me, it wasn't a retreat. It was a training. <laughs> it was very intense. I was like, who am I? Like all these layers were opened up and so many new ways of thinking. And I did Kirtan and, and like, I don't even know all these healings. And I was like, what is happening? And then that ultimately opened the door to like, you said you kind of start exploring well what feels good what's what do, what do i want to lean into and then more healing modalities to eventually that was like my whole path the last year and a half was like really awakening that spiritual side of myself and that feminine essence and it's like it all started with the yoga training it's like i hear everybody it starts with that oh my gosh absolutely and i think that most people go and do their yoga training, not because they want to actually teach. Like I know I didn't, I did mine over 18 months from, I did, started mine in 2012. So this was like a long time ago, but it was just because again, there was this sense of like, I, there's something I want to connect to. And I didn't really realize. And now I'm like, oh, I just wanted to connect to myself. Like, I just want to mm -hmm. know who I am before the world told me who I should be. Oh, it's so true. So true. And so many layers get uncovered and it's, it's scary and vulnerable when you're doing something that you've never done before. But it's like, to your point, I'm actually deconditioning what I've learned. Like, this is who I really, really am. Yeah, that's, ex that's exactly it. And I think that's, I'm seeing more and more of that now. And I think that, you know, things like COVID as well, are, 
you know, although they have a very dark side, they also are being a fantastic mirror to many of us. Like, oh, the life that I was living before is not actually in alignment with who, who I truly am. And it's time to actually go within and and discover, like, what is it? Who who am I underneath all of this? And what am I here to contribute? Absolutely. You mentioned a word priestess and like priestesshood. This is a word I'm still new to. And I know my listeners, I'm thinking of literally a priest in a church with the gown and everything. And then a priestess with, you know, a hat and she's in church giving sermons. I imagine that's not what you're talking about. So you, can you let us know what <laughs> well, a priestesshood is? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the way that I define priest priestesshood is, and I'm talking particularly modern priestesshood, priestesshood is actually an energy, but it's also an archetype. So many of you will be aware that um, Carl Jung coined all these different archetypes. These are blueprints of consciousness that are exist within us and we can kind of access at any type. Type And Carl Jung probably would have called the priestess the magician, the, the one that's able to kind of create magic. I like to see her as a vessel of the divine. And I actually believe that we, we're all vessels of the divine. We're all here to contribute and to, you know, play our part in the evolution of this beautiful planet and, you know, the evolution of consciousness. So I say that priestesshood is like an energy. It's like if you felt the need to, I don't know, create or speak or teach or share your truth or make art or, you know, stand up for justice. Like this is the energy of the priestess. This is the understanding that actually, you know, we're born into this world and we can share our innate gifts and talents to leave our imprint and our legacy, not in a kind of egoic way, or I'm going to build an empire and blah, 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 but in a, in a really grounded, rooted way of actually my life has meaning. So that's the energy of the priestess. And throughout ancient history, particularly in Europe, we can see that the priestess, so like I said before, you know, men and women were living in relatively equal, you know, they were relatively equal in society. But then what happened about 4,000 years ago is that you start to see that the that women and presumably those that identified as women were starting to be treated as second-class citizens. And also feminine energy, feminine traits, feminine approaches were also starting to be devalued. And you can kind of see this decline throughout the centuries. So priestesshood, as women becoming more second-class citizens, priestesshood was a way for a woman to not be a second-class citizen. So you have pre you had priestesses in Rome known as the Vestal Virgins. You had a, a priestess known as the Pythia in ancient Greece. And these were arg arguably very, very powerful women because what they said, you know, their wisdom, they were seen to be, you know, channels to Apollo, channels to Vesta. Actually, you know, you would have like military people and emperors listening to what they had to say and acting on their advice. So they were arguably very, very powerful and they had more status than most, most, well, they had more status than women. So I kind of see that in ancient world priestesshood, you know, as they're keeping the fire of Rome burning, you know, this was a, a way for them to, this was a portal for their status and their elevation of self. And it's the same in the modern day, just different. Like we can reclaim our feminine power and our divine purpose through identifying and working with the energies of the priestess. Love that. I love the archetypes. Um, my good friend, Jenna Miller, who ended up being one of my feminine embodiment mentors, would always talk about the archetypes. And and I was always so confused. I was like, I don't get it. Am I supposed to just be one of them? I'm a, do I have to pick one and like, just focus on it? And she was like, no, no, no. It's like dancing with the energy. Like you can be four of them throughout the different times of the day. Like it's just dancing with what energies these archetypes are. And so the priestess and the priestesshood that you're talking about makes so much sense. It's tapping into that feminine, what you were talking about too, with um, women and, and feminine energy being more treated as like second class. It reminds me of a book I'm reading right now called Do Less by Kate Northrup. Have you heard of it? Yes, I've heard, I haven't read it, but I've heard of it. Oh, it's so good. It's about like cycle tracking and tracking the moon. And, and it was saying like, historically people are like, women are crazy and so unpredictable and da da da. And it's like, 
Actually, our cycles are very predictable. The moon is predictable. There's moon phases. Women have phases. And so she made such a good point that, and she reframed that whole conversation of like, women are unpredictable and crazy. It's like, actually, no, we're not. We're very creative and energetic and we have very predictable cycles. And we can, if we know our cycles, we can work with our energy. And it, it really made me think of how many people feel crazy when it's like, you're not crazy. Like, you're, you have superpowers with your cycle. It got me so fired up about the cycle and the moon and everything. And this conversation reminded me of that. And it's so true. And, you know, I think, because I'm kind of a bigger picture person as well. So I like to always look at the bigger picture. And you can see that actually the, the kind of devaluation of not just women, but feminine traits and feminine approaches and feminine energy, you can see it seeping within all areas of society. And even with, let's say, climate change, the fact that climate change even exists is because we have, and now it's changing, thank goodness, but we had prior to this point and still devalued mother nature and, and not ridden her cycles and not allowed ourselves to live in harmony with her and her cycles. We, you know, egoically and arrogantly have said, no, we are separate from her. And we've kind of gone in a linear way. And that means that this linearity as well is what creates burnout for so many people, men, women, all genders. And, you know, it's also this linearity that has created such unsustainability in our world. This idea that the world isn't a finite resource. It is. So our reclamation as a species lies in aligning ourselves back with the feminine and bringing the masculine, the healthy masculine, the healthy feminine into balance. 100%. I love this conversation. And to your point about like the feminine traits and, and all these things that people, you can tell we were just talking about this is becoming more apparent. I feel like people are starting to reclaim their femininity and their power. And even with like dressing up, like I know no one can see our videos right now, but like I'm wearing red lipstick and hoops and this I wouldn't have done a year ago. I've been like, that's too much. She's going to think I'm like too loud. Why, we're on a podcast interview. Like who cares? And it's hot. like, thank you. you. Really like, <laughs> I wanted to look cute today. And so I'm dressing cute, but it, it brought up this whole weird internal dialogue of like, oh, am I trying to show off? And is this like too much? And I'm like, where is this even coming from? Like, why would I think that? Like, why is it bad for me to want to express my traits inner and outer in certain ways? And I'm curious your opinion of like, why do we feel so afraid to be seen and express ourselves? Mm, so, I mean, really over the millennia, we have been traumatized by it. We've been traumatized by being persecuted for our femininity. I call it not in particular in relation to what you were just talking about, but in general, there are so many women that I work with who are terrified of owning their spirituality publicly. I call this coming out of the spiritual closet. And I say like, that's not yours that's been given to you, that fear is probably, for sure it's ancestral because we know now that trauma can be passed from generation to generation. And you know, also we live in a culture where women are still witch hunted for sharing their truth, especially when it's inconvenient, especially when it's unconventional. So we have this fear of being persecuted and it makes total sense given our history and we also have a fear of not being taken seriously this is something that during my academic career oh my gosh came up so much like i was terrified of people knowing that i was also training to become a yoga teacher as i was writing my phd because i was like oh my god they're gonna just like think I'm really woo-woo. And even that word woo-woo, like we, I, I, I use it as um, an example, but really we should just abandon it because it's a really derogatory term for innate experiences and superpowers that are fundamental to human and to human existence. We call intuition woo-woo. It's so derogatory when intuition is the, the key to everything. It's our instincts. It's our nature. And how can we be derogatory about nature? So slight tangent. <laughs> oh my God. No, I'm like vigorously nodding my head, agreeing. And I'm even getting chills. And that usually means something is like very much resonating in my body. And it's even saying that I wouldn't have said this six months ago, like, oh, I get chills because it resonates in my body. Because to your point, I was like, oh, that's woo woo. That's a little crazy. Like, 
And now I'm like, why? Why is it weird that I can listen to my body and its signals and listen to my intuition? And a point you just made too about the being taken seriously. I think that's why so many people right now, especially with online businesses, have imposter syndrome because we feel like we're going to get caught. Like we're doing business wrong. We're doing this wrong. You know, we're not real business owners. And I actually saw on your Instagram, you said something about like, when my brain tells me to get a real job, even though what we're doing is very real, we still have this imposter syndrome. Like, okay, is this really real? Or is this like a fake bubble that I live in? And I'm curious your thoughts around imposter syndrome. And like, you know, when you're in the coaching industry, especially trying to get over that this is actually a real job and it's not just a fake bubble that we're in. Yeah, I think that's a really, really challenging, challenging one to navigate. And um, imposter syndrome, the way that I've made friends with it is it's not going to go anywhere and it's always going to come up so long as I'm doing something new or something that I perceive to be new. But also one of the mindset shifts that's really helped me and I always share with my clients is that you know, no one is a new coach. No one is a new mentor. No one is a new teacher. Like you've been doing, you have experience. You've been doing this. You just probably haven't been owning it. Or maybe you have experience with, I don't know, you were managing people and that meant you were coaching them or you, you know, you studied some stuff at uni. So there's a phrase that I use, which is transcend and include, which is you transcend your past experiences, but you include them in your new endeavor. So nobody is a new coach. And sometimes we need to give ourselves that mindset shift because, yeah, it can feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get caught. You know, I don't know anything. But ultimately, the imposter syndrome, I see it as a freeze response, which is essentially a trauma response. Anything that feels dangerous and feels like we're threatened, our sense of self is threatened, then we go into freeze. And the imposter syndrome is just one of those responses. So if you do find yourself experiencing imposter syndrome, the best thing you can do is to recognize that actually it means you're onto something. (laughs) Because real imposters don't feel imposter syndrome. (laughs) So true. And I actually read this story about Barbara Corcoran, the shark tank lady who sold her real estate business for like $60 million, some crazy number. And she even said she had imposter syndrome, even though she had the business for 20 years, built it up by herself, earned all that money. She was like, I still had some imposter syndrome. And I was like, wow, you kind of just think that people have a certain caliber in their business. It like disappears. And it was like, no, it's still very real for her, but she just learned to manage it. And also what you said about transcend and include, this is a topic that is so important because people are scared to make jumps in their career because they think all of a sudden they're wasting their degree or they're losing all their skills. And I'm like, no, no, no. Everything I learned in corporate America is like very applicable to what I'm doing now. I use the same softwares, the same team management styles, like conflict, conflict resolution skills. Like these are all things like, thank God I had the corporate American job, even though now what I'm doing doesn't really have a lot to do with my degree. It's like, I can include those skills. So thank you for bringing it up. We're not just wasting our past. We can include it. Yeah, it's just, you know, it just looks more unconventional. And I think sometimes we're more afraid of what people will think. Of, well, actually, I say sometimes we most always we're more afraid of what people will think of us rather than being loyal to our dreams. And that that's another phrase as well that has stayed with me. It's like, I'm going to always be more loyal to my dreams and my values and my desires and my sense of Dharma than I am to any fear that I have. I feel, I feel fear all the time. Every time I launch a new program, like I published a book at the beginning of this year, massive fear with that. But you know, we have this message that says, oh, well, fear means don't. So if I'm feeling fearful or if I'm feeling unsure and I'm full of self-doubt, that means I shouldn't do it without recognizing that it's just going to be there. And the best thing you can do is learn how to soothe yourself in those moments. Like you were saying, like learn how to recognize what's going on in your body and just be there to feel it and then just continue on your path. I love that. And something you were mentioning earlier was about owning your gifts. And I I truly feel sometimes people don't even know what their gifts are. And it makes me sad because it's like you see someone a certain way and they don't see themselves that way. So how do you either help your clients or even just see it in this space? Like, how do you encourage people to A, find their gifts and B, own them and like use them? Yeah, that's such a great question. 
So really the, the stuff that comes really natural to us, the things that we think everyone else should be able to do, that we just assume everyone can do X, Y, Z because we find it so easy, like they are your gifts and your talents. So very often we're just blind to it because we just assume, oh yeah, anyone can write like this or yeah, anyone can, you know, manage people in this way or yeah, anyone can, you know, hold space for people. No. They can't. So it's, um, yeah, it's the thing that you, you just like, duh, I, of course anyone can do it. No, that's your gift. And then also like, what is it that people come to you for all the time? You know, what, and if you're not, if you're not sure, then ask your friends, the people closest to you, like, what do you think my gifts are? Sometimes just asking other people and they're like, oh, you're really good at this. And you're like, oh yeah, I am actually. So that can be really, really helpful. And then also, what is the what is the stuff that you love to spend your time doing where time just stay, like it just stops it just freezes and you could just you're in that that flow and it might be something that you don't even think you're particularly good at but that again can be the imposter syndrome coming in but it's that's when we're in alignment with who we are when our sense of time and space just completely stands to a still you know that was that was what was happening when i was writing my book i was just in complete an utter flow and it's the same when i'm teaching workshops or i'm in, in a coaching session it's like almost like I cannot believe I get paid for this. This is ridiculous. Like, because it's, you know, and I still experience a lot of imposter syndrome with it, but really it's, when do you feel most alive? That's so funny. You mentioned the, like, how can I get paid for this? It's so easy. And then realizing that was your gift because it's true. It, it pops up like, wow, this is, it should almost feel easy because it's a gift. You don't have to exert any force or, you know, really try and tie yourself to something. It's like, it comes so naturally, you kind of do feel guilty when you're doing it because you're like, why is it so easy for me and not everybody else? And I'm curious, like when you were feeling maybe some of that guilt or like, okay, why am I getting paid to do this? It's such a joke. How did you navigate that? I think actually the thing that really helped me was just to get very, very clear on the vision that I wanted for my life and get so clear on it that it was just, it became a non-negotiable. So I knew that I didn't want to, like I knew what my mission was. I knew that I want to help women thrive like I knew that and I also knew that I wanted my life to be a radical rebellion against the systems that I've been brought up in I knew that so and I just got really crystal clear on that's what I want and it's like okay well the only way to really live that and create that is to move past these these fears that I have about myself so I think it's just getting crystal, really crystal clear on what I wanted and just like daring myself to move towards it even though I felt yeah, like it's, it's not easy, <laughs> is it? Sometimes you're like, why am I doing this? I'm just going to go back to my old job and just like, I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think it comes up too, because sometimes when something comes so easy, I think the guilt is that if it's easy for me, then it must be hard for someone else. And we don't want it to feel hard for other people. So we somehow make up this story that if I'm doing it so easy and effortlessly, someone else has to suffer. Like that's something that I think comes up and it's not true. And I think sometimes thinking of the alternate, like, okay, what's well, the alternate? I need to go suffer too. And then I can't use my gifts. And then we're even, we're now we're going to suffer even more. It's it, that logically doesn't make sense, but it's something that we bring with us. Like if it's easy for me and I'm owning it and I'm making money from it and it's coming to me left and right, then someone else out there must be really struggling. And that's not true. That's such a good point. And actually, at the beginning of my business, as I started to show up online, I really struggled with like sharing the good things. Like I was I was really good at kind of sharing like, you know, the things I'm in process with and blah, 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 like that easy. But actually sharing where things were going right felt like a growth edge for me because I was terrified of judgment. And um, I was always brought up that, you know, you know, obviously I'm British as well, which is even like just add another cultural layer where, you know, you, you, you don't share, you don't share like your celebrations, like, you know, for us, that's a bit American. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but I mean, I'm sure you guys have got something similar. So yeah, I was kind of brought up to, to not do that. But then again, you know, sometimes I think people can overcompensate and overshare their celebrations when it's not really, when you're kind of, you know, you see it and you're like, mm, I'm not really buying that. And now the difference is that 
you know, what I have noticed is the more that I embody the version of myself that I always aspired to be, which is, you know, ultimately free, focusing on helping people as much as she can, moving past her own limitations again and again and again, humble, you know, but expansive. That's when things really take off because people don't, people don't even really care about what you say. It's about how you make them feel whilst you're saying it. And that's all at the level of embodiment. So basically what I'm saying is like, you get to be yourself, you get to be happy and you get to own what you want for life and you get to share that you're moving towards it. And because actually you'll end up inspiring way more people. And, you know, it's rather than flip the question, what if they judge me? What if I inspire them? Because that's what we're here for. We want to help people. You are not helping anyone by playing small. And I don't want to say playing small as in like to shame you. Cause I think there's a lot of that in the online space. It's like, you're playing small. You need to play bigger. No, no, no. Playing small is a very natural trauma response that most women have because we've grown up in an environment that has not made us feel safe to play truer and bigger. Okay. So it's not your fault and you can create the life you want. You can move beyond that. And actually I would I would say that it is your moral imperative to do that for yourself and for others. It's so true. And it, it really, when you take ownership of your gifts, you do light a path for others to take ownership of their gifts because if they're in your energy circle and they see you, they're like, wait, if she did it, then I can do it. And if I can do it, maybe someone behind me can do it. And it's like a ripple effect that I don't even think people realize how massive the ripple effect is. I think people think, oh, if I only work with my one-on-one clients and my group programs, like those are the only people I'm helping. And I'm like, do you know how much value I've gotten just from reading someone's posts or listening to a podcast? And then I go tell someone else and then they tell someone else. And now it's like this whole ripple effect that it's like, you may not even know that your one sentence Instagram caption actually helped 20 people. Now imagine if you amplified that and revved it up and like really started showing yourself, imagine the ripple effect of that. Oh, yes. And and that's the thing, you know, um, our impact actually cannot be measured. And there's no way, you know, like I said, I published my book at the beginning of this year. And so far, we've sold over 600, 700 copies. And that's just in a couple of months. And, you know, I'm like, whoa, okay, because I don't have a particularly big community. So I was like, okay. Um, and I, I have no, I cannot quantify the impact or the ripple effect, like you say, of that. But I knew that was one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book in the first place. You know, it was like, okay, let's see how far I can, this concept of, you know, owning your dharma, reclaiming your feminine power and purpose, let's see how far we can spread it. And of course, you know, it's, it's nothing new. <laughs> you know, I'm not the only person talking about feminine empowerment and dharma and purpose, of course, but I'm the only one speaking about it in my own unique way with my archaeology background. And so it's that's another thing as well. I think that sometimes we think, oh, but everyone's doing this. So there's no space for me. And that's just not true. You don't have to try and reinvent the wheel and you don't even need to try and be unique. You are unique. So everything that's going to come through you as this unique vessel priestess that you are, it's going to be unique. So you don't need to try and be anything. You just get to be yourself and share what you desire. 1000 million percent agree. It is so, so true. I mean, it's like, I think of it this way too, is to your point, people think, oh, well, I can't be a business coach because there's already business coaches. Think of restaurants. That's like an Italian restaurant being like, I can't open up down the block because there's another Italian restaurant down the block. It's like, well, no, one is known for their meatballs. One is known for their owners and they love the energy. One is known for the vibe and catering to young people. One is known for their wine. You don't, you don't say like, wow, Joe's meatballs open. I don't know what Tony's, you know, subs are doing down there. You're like, cool. There's two Italian restaurants to choose from. I might go to one, one day for the meatballs and the other one for the pasta. I like them both. And also people work with multiple people. Like I have a business coach. It doesn't mean that I don't follow other business coaches, that I don't invest in other coaching programs. I mean, we're having this conversation and I told you, I work with someone that does feminine embodiment. I'll probably work with you. Like it doesn't mean just because my friend did it, I can't work with you. And people really do think that like, oh, well, someone already took up the spot. So I can't be there. Oh, it's so true. But it speaks to this old paradigm of conditioning that we have, which is, you know, 
competition and survival of the fittest and this whole like Darwinian Darwinianism basically when actually that's one lens through which to look at the planet but actually the other lens is through collaboration and recognizing that you know we are not here for individual gain not really we're here for collective reclamation we're here for collective reclamation that's what collaboration is and so when we look at things through the eyes of individualism we start to go okay well either we become really grandiose and we think we're amazing and we're like the best bees knees and you know we're and everything is about us as well and getting as much as we can for us or we start to think well i have to be like that and if i'm not then if i'm not completely unique and completely special then there's no point but through the lens of collectivism which is what priestesshood really encourages us to work with this idea that yeah there's a reason why there are so many coaches coming out now there are there are reason why there are so many people talking about climate change and sustainability and stuff like that it's because we need this is a collective movement this is a collective elevation of consciousness and one person cannot do it alone we have to do it together and also my business and the businesses of my clients like explodes once like it's like for me it's exploded since i was like collaboration is the key you know collaborations such as this you know i send people free copies of my book and you know we i do free joint master classes sometimes with people and i'm always sharing stuff and this is this is because i've managed to get myself out of the mindset of oh there's not enough for me anymore and i can say that with full confidence most things i'm kind of in process with but this i have pretty pretty kind of nailed down now which is like there is well first of all we have to decide what enough is for us so for me especially as a business coach it can get quite noisy in the online space and you start seeing what everyone else is doing and you think oh shit should i be going for that should i be doing this should i oh god well what i have is not enough then oh and so i've had to define what enough is for me in terms of like how my weeks look and or how many clients i have and also the income that i have okay what is what is enough okay i am i am at enough i'm at more than enough right now so it's like Okay, so now that I know that, therefore I don't have to be in competition with anyone anymore. You know, it's there isn't it's it, and then it gets to be fun. This process of like sharing our dharma is not about the end result and the achievement which is actually kind of toxic capitalism, but it's really about like creating and living the lives that we desire and being happy now rather than when we achieve a future goal that actually it's a goal that we would never never have originally decided upon it's just we've seen someone else do it this is so relevant because talking about the financial milestone i hit the financial milestone that is put on such a pedestal in the coaching industry but i was like this is a milestone that i didn't really pick for myself it was like so regarded in the coaching industry and then i hit it and i was like um okay cool now what like yeah I, I, like, I like never made a plan for when it happened and i thought oh when i get to that point i will be a different human i'll feel so confident like everything will be aligned life will be perfect and it was like i just looked at my you know bookings and i was like oh that's really cool and then it was just like cool go along with my day and i'm get like wow, I really yeah i really thought that thing was gonna like change my life and it, my life is still the same. I just have a bit more money in my bank account, which means I can help more people. I can do more free things now. I can do more collaborations. I can pay people, which is like a whole different conversation about money. But I love what you said. Instead of looking at anybody in a compar comparison way, looking at it as like, how can I collaborate with that person? Like, oh my gosh, could we do a podcast? Could she do a joint masterclass with me? And that inspires me versus like, oh, well, she's already at the top and I'm not. It's like, no, why don't you try to like integrate with her energy and you guys can collaborate and create something beautiful. And again, pave the way for more people to do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And coll collaboration is really what it's all about. Like my business became so much more fun. I mean, it's always been fun, but it became so much more fun when I started doing things like this, you know, I was like, ah, this is, yeah, what else am I doing? Would I be doing probably eating Ben and Jerry's watching, you know, copious amounts of Outlander on Netflix, which, you know, doesn't sound so bad, but, um, <laughs> you know, which is not conducive for living um, a meaningful life. I want to kind of 
just go back to what you said as well about this this idea of like milestones and things and and yeah there's this there's specific milestones for business coaches but this really applies to everybody because I thought when I had a PhD and I could call myself doctor I was like then I'm gonna be somebody then I won't feel like such a fraud and on the day of my exam that you have this viva exam which is like an oral examination where they basically grill you Afterwards, they were like, yeah, you've passed. I cried for hours afterwards, but not because it was tears of joy. It was tears of, I've literally spent three and a half years gearing up to this point, and I don't feel any different. <laughs> I don't feel any different. And then uh, the same thing happened in my business. You know, I hit the, the, the annual milestone last year that all business coaches are supposed to, to hit, and I hit, I hit it, and I was like, oh, okay. And then, you know, it was came to January this year and it was like, what, what are your goals going to be this year? And, you know, everyone is like scale and double and do this. And I was like, do you know what? I don't even care if I make the same amount this year. I, I, I want to I want to make sure that my lifestyle is in alignment with who I am. And it's not just this achievement. But, yeah, I remember a few people being like, oh, well, if you don't want to build your empire. And I was like, are you shaming me for not wanting to build an empire? What's going on here? Um, but you get to, you know, actually, I really think one of the most important things you can do is to question what everyone else is doing and get really curious about it. You know, and it's not just take it at face value, but really question, well, what, why, why, why are people doing that? Why? Because at the end of the day, we're all sheep. And sometimes we need the black sheep to, um, you know, to, to forge a new way. So, so true. I'm so glad we had this conversation because it's very much needed. And something that I don't think a lot of people talk about is like you hit these goals and then it's like, wait, what, what next? Now what? We never think about that. We don't think of the after part of it. And it's like, then why did we put it on such a pedestal? It makes no sense. I would love for you to tell us about your book. I want to know everything about it. Where can people find it? Tell us all about it. Oh, thank you. So the book is called The Way of the Priestess, A Reclamation of Feminine Power and Divine Purpose. And really, it's um, it's a call to arms and it's a memoir and it's for any woman that feels kind of a little bit stifled, a little bit stuck, who feels like she's not really living in a, a life that's in alignment with her and she knows she's here to contribute more and move past some of her blocks and limitations and really live a life of meaning and fulfillment and freedom. Um, so I share a lot of my own story and I also share like a lot of really quite profound mindset shifts and also practices as well. And there are some contemplative prompts in there just to kind of take you on this journey of really, yeah, connecting to your own sense of priestesshood. And I've gotten so much amazing feedback as well. I'm sure there are some people who hated it, but they haven't told me that. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, I've had some really, really nice feedback and you can find it Barnes and Noble. You can find it. Waterstones, Amazon, pretty much anywhere where books are sold online. And yeah, if you do read it, please send me a message and let me know because I really, really love to know your thoughts. I love that. And how can people work with you if they want to work either one-on-one -on -one or take one of your courses? So the best way to contact me is through Instagram. So you can find me at Dr. Sarah Coxon. You can send me a message and just let me know what really resonated. I do all sorts of things. I'm really excited. I'm launching my first membership at the end of this month called Thrive. So this is a beautiful, low-cost, high-touch membership for women who want to master the energetics of feminine leadership and regenerative living. All the concepts that we've been speaking about are really in that membership. But yeah, if you want to, if you want to discuss ways in which I can help you or just even say hello, then just send me a message and we'll chat. Amazing. And I want to end with one final question that I ask all my guests. This podcast is called In My Non-Expert Opinion. So clearly you're an expert in feminine leadership, business mentoring, etc. But what are you not an expert in that you wish you were? Oh, <laughs> two things, two things spring to mind. So the first is Portuguese. I'm living in Portugal at the moment. And I've just in the past few months started learning Portuguese. I'm doing it every day. But oh my God, I suck. So I wish I was an expert in Portuguese and also permaculture. I've started really getting into permaculture in the past six months. I would love to be an expert in permaculture. I don't even know what that is. 
it's um it's like an agricultural practice that oh, um okay. moves away from monoculture yeah it's like regenerative stuff it's really cool <laughs> I literally just bought my first plants ever in my adult life last weekend. So I'm like, yeah, Yay. this is the word agriculture plants. It's like brand new to me, all these things. So I love that. And just so you know, I'm learning German and I feel the same. German is a very tough language to learn. And I'm like, I, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I, I love that we're both learning hard. new languages. It's hard. It's, well, when when you're kind of native English as well, I mean, we don't we haven't really had to learn any languages. So now I'm and even here in the Algarve, you know, everyone speaks English, but I'm forcing myself to do it actually because I do love the language. And second, you know, we've just bought a house here. It's really it's a sign of respect. But my brain is not on board. <laughs> Neither is mine. My brain is like it literally crosswires every time I have a lesson. I'm like, okay, we're just going to keep the basics. Thank you. Hello ordering. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to be polite. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I absolutely loved this conversation. So many wisdom nuggets in here. I hope everybody loved it just as much. And thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Chelsea. It's been amazing. Wow, I had such an amazing time talking to Sarah and I really hope you all felt that and felt the energy between us because she really is such a genuine, kind soul, so down to earth and so embodied in what she's discussing. You don't know how many coaches and mentors and people online that reach out or want to connect and I can just read their energy and I'm like, mm, I don't want to interview them because it just feels like a ploy to market themselves. And we're going to talk about all the systems that they use. And it's going to turn into a whole like course rundown on the podcast. And with Sarah, I never felt that I felt like she genuinely wanted to have this conversation to help people. And her book is just a piece of work that can also be a tool for you to tap into to help yourself. So this conversation was so valuable. And I really hope you all felt the same. Make sure you follow her at Dr. Sarah Coxon, go check out her work and definitely check out her book. I am getting a copy myself. I cannot wait to read it. And you all know where to find me at Chelsea Rife at non-expert opinion pod. My websites are both the same as the handles. And remember, if you leave a review, I will send you a guided meditation. Meditations are one of my favorite things to do and guide people through because I know how annoying meditation can be when you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I have things to do. I need my checklist. I need to do this. And I try to make my meditations very visual that are very quick, like five to seven minutes. So you can just play it listen to my voice and have some clarity throughout your day. So I absolutely love doing them and I would love to send you one. Just send me a screenshot of your review to info at chelsearife.com and I will send you that guided meditation. All right, everyone, I will see you next week. <music>